Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. Alongside Mike Niemer, I am Greg Frank. This is episode 141 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. I want to appreciate everybody tuning in and subscribing as always. And we're going to be joined today by James Malley, the CEO and co-founder of Pacurate, which is an environmentally sustainable packing company. So certainly looking forward to hearing what he has to say about that and uh, just kind of a lot of his tech-related interests. So we'll certainly get to James in just a few minutes. But before we get to James, we want to check in with eRenewable COO Ann Niemer. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. If you are a wind, solar, or battery storage developer and you're looking to find an off-taker, our online live auction is a perfect platform to help you find that buyer. Conversely, if you're a CNI customer and you're looking to establish a PPA or VPPA, our auction platform could work for you. To learn more about how we can assist you with your power purchase agreement, visit us at eRenewable.com. And now, back to the Green Insider. All righty, we welcome you into the Green Insider podcast powered by eRenewable. This is episode 141 alongside Mike Niemer. I am Greg Frank. And without further ado, let's not waste any more time. We bring on James Malley, the CEO and co-founder of Pacurate, joining us from Brooklyn. And we appreciate your time today, James. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure. And uh, I guess let's just paint some broad strokes as we get started here. Tell us what your company is and you know how you got to where you are and kind of what you do, you know, as, as broadly as you can. And then we'll obviously narrow the focus as we go here. Sure. So if you've ever ordered anything online, maybe something small and it shows up on your doorstep, uh, rattling around in a massive box for seemingly no reason, that's what we fix with a technology approach. And I kind of backed up into sustainability as a major kind of passion our, you know, my co-founder and I started working in supply chain technology way back in 2008 or so. And it, w- it wasn't really until we started to measure the effect of packing things more efficiently that we got really excited about the sustainability implications. Yeah. And I mean, what kind of shared vision did you guys have when, when you got started and what was kind of the uh, the goal, I guess, of, of where you were trying to take things and, and where are you kind of on that timeline? Sure. Um, so when we started, it was around the time that um, FedEx and UPS started penalizing e-commerce shippers for inefficient packing. So when we started, we just wanted to create an API, something that uh, people could call from their warehouse to get a packing plan um, and just have them save a little money. Um, but when we started to get, you know, larger customers and, you know, access to big chunks of data, uh, we were like, well, wait a second, uh, you know, this can't be right. We're, you know, saving hundreds of acres of cardboard annually for some of these folks, hundreds of truck trips, trucks leaving their distribution centers. You know, that's kind of where we are today, where we have um, customers like Crate and Barrel, you know, even down to really small uh, shippers that only do a few thousand shipments a month. 
and we've been really excited at the results. And in terms of what we've, we've, we're building going forward is kind of a platform around that, that core technology where we can help shippers answer questions about, you know, if they made some change to their product or to their operation, how would that affect their scope three emissions? And we kind of use our, our technology to help them model that out. James, I know you have uh, your company before this one was uh, Binship, if I said that correctly. Binship, yeah. Binship. I saw online where you're calling it the cartonization engine that's controlling shipping costs. Is that still true or is that all moved to your new company? Yeah, we, you know, Packurit uh, was the product when we were still called Beneship, but we were still doing quite a bit of consulting. Um, but since Packurit took off, we kind of just decided to move all our eggs to that one basket. So we renamed the company Packurit and that's what we focus on today. Gotcha. So Packurit, when you're reducing the, the amount of cardboard used, you're obviously reducing everybody's carbon footprint and helping everybody's sustainability plan and yes, help them reach their ESG goals, as you well know. And here on the Green Side Insider, that's what we like to help educate our listeners as to what they can do to help their own carbon footprint along with the company they may work for. So both personally, personally and professionally, do you have any tips for the person sitting at home listening to this, that what they can do to help reduce their carbon footprint by making just some little changes? Well, on the consumer side, you know, we've seen kind of a rise of unboxing videos where there's a certain amount of shaming going on. Um, so I think retailers need to be aware of that. It's not just influencers doing positive unboxing videos. They're all over social media. It's something that's happened in the past like six months alone where these like little online communities pop up. So if you're a consumer, I think, you know, that pressure is working. It's causing shippers to, you know, take another look at their operations. If you're involved in e-commerce shipping or really any kind of parcel shipping, I think, you know, one of the key things is that you may, you may think, oh, this, this initiative, whatever it may be, it's only going to reduce our use of cardboard by a square foot per carton. Um, but the economies of scale we're dealing with uh, in, in shipping, um, you know, FedEx and UPS uh, deliver a combined like over 40 million packages per day. Um, so if only if you figure, if you figure half of those are overbox, so they're put into cartons, then if you're reducing your, your carton size on average by a square foot of cardboard, that's 20 million square feet of cardboard per day. It, it, it's really kind of startling. So I think if you're in a position to make any kind of change when you're dealing with shipping, the, the economies of scale mean that you'll have an incredible impact on your company's scope three emissions. On the personal side for you, uh, I know that, you know, in reading your bio that you went to theater school and, and <laughs> transitioned into uh, the environmentally sustainable space, uh, as we discussed here. So were you always kind of a, you know, green thinker and kind of environmentally friendly wired, you know, between the years. And it was just a matter of trying to find your niche within the space, which ended up being packing. Kind of, uh, you know, I thought in high school, I was convinced I would be an actor. Um, then I got to college and I was fortunate enough to study theater acting, but, you know, to make beer money, I took on a lot of development projects. I minored in computer science, you know, just in case that whole acting thing didn't pan out. 
and by the time I graduated, I realized I just, I didn't really, you know, I got much more of a kick out of building technology than auditioning for a hundred things and, and hoping to tell a story. I would say, you know, working with my co-founder, one of our first startups, which we I don't even put on uh, my bio, was this like for-profit fundraising company that was like super convoluted. It was like heavily overripe with features. I won't even go into it. It ended up being kind of crazy, but that sort of put this, this desire, I think in both myself and my co-founder to build something where we could be financially successful, but also kind of leave a legacy of some positive impact behind. Um, and we didn't really get back to that kind of feeling of, of we're, we're making a difference really until we, we found that this was an underserved area where cartons are, you know, we spend around the world uh, a ton of sweat and treasure essentially moving air around um, and unnecessary fill materials in these boxes. Um, so it wasn't really until we discovered that problem that we were like, oh, this is how we can this is how we can le- make a difference and, and leave a legacy of something positive. You know, I think that's interesting. And, and one thing that I, I, I think we can probe into a little bit with you and uh, with entrepreneurs everywhere, I, I'm always fascinated by that kind of aha moment that they have when it, it, the light bulb goes off and you realize that there's something there. What was that like for you guys uh, with you and, and your co-founder that you've mentioned about just kind of realizing that, you know, Packurate kind of had the future that it ended up having. Yeah, I mean, it was a big, it was a big transitionary moment because I think when we first started building it, it was like everything we'd worked on in supply chain tech before, which is, oh, we'll just build this little thing, and we've got like a different idea of how to approach it that anybody else is doing. This will be nice, and we'll sell it, and that'll be fun, and we'll move on to the next thing. But then, you know, the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden, our customers base blew up with all these recognizable brands um, that were telling us that we, you know, we were onto something. So we kind of took the success with them and leveraged it to raise a, a, a seed round of venture capital. Um, and so now, you know, the team has grown quite a bit from that. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, at, at a basic level, we couldn't really have envisioned, I would love to have a uh, you know, a, a founder story where we knew that this was going to be big from day one. Um, but it was really like, oh, you know, learning as we go, what the size of the opportunity looked like. Well, you know, during the pandemic, uh, there's really only kind of two kinds of business, the kind that could not make it and the kind that exploded. And I'm guessing you're the one on the side that exploded because of what you're doing and how everybody was at home, they couldn't go to a shopping center or whatever, and everybody just started ordering online, and that was right up your alley. So, you know, good for you being in the right place at the right time, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was, um, it, you know, we had some sense that e-commerce was growing. Um, obviously, we couldn't have anticipated the pandemic. A lot of the pain that we were solving became more painful because um, the pandemic brought huge rate hikes for shipping, the cost of corrugate, uh, you know, cardboard, um, that's shot up. Uh, and that used to be something that uh, shippers would just look at as the cost of doing business. Now it's like, oh, you know, this is a real expense. How are we going to minimize it? So all those kind of all those kind of things drove uh, our, our early success there for sure. 
you know, let's backtrack just a little bit and really tell about your company and how it's involved. You use crate and barrels as an example. Is it your technology telling crate and barrel in this example, the size box to pack each item in? Or is your exactly. company physically doing the boxing? Uh, we're, we're pure technology company. So we our, our technology or the core really of it is just, um, you could think of it as AI or narrow AI, um, but it's not learning. It's like, it's just really complex algorithms. But when a company like Crate and Barrel is going to pack something, they make a call to you know our service in the cloud and we send back packing instructions with a picture of how the thing should go in the box. Um, and it can get fairly complicated, you know, uh, home goods brands in particular, there's a lot of rules about fragility, um, you know, cutting down on damages. Damages are incredibly bad for the environment because it's not just that those items are going to be, um, you know, if they're not salvageable, chucked into a landfill, um, but it's that return trip that they have to take through the transportation network, which, you know, that really adds up in terms of emissions. So. Um, being able to make sure we reduce damage, but also increase uh, efficiency and take unnecessary air out of the box is the goal. Well, through all that and, you know, your technology helping uh, vendors like Crate and Barrel, you know, all over, are you in the United States only or do you do have customers overseas too? We're overseas, um, Mexico, Canada, uh, Europe. Um, that's kind of the extent of it today. Okay, well, you're going to have a good view of, you know, all we keep hearing out of uh, on the news is supply chain, supply chain, supply chain, one issue after another. As you sit there, James, and you, you see what you see through your company, but what do you also see with your eyes and how you feel with regards to the future of this supply chain issues, either getting worse or getting better? What's your view? Yeah, I mean... I'm, I'm kind of optimistic by nature. Um, and, you know, as, as I see the industry kind of adapt to these challenges and try to make uh, their, their supply chains more uh, lean um, and, you know, less of this depending on ordering things, uh, you know, months and months in advance and hoping they show up and more kind of focus on, you know, uh, you know, manufacturing things closer to their destination, uh, shared uh, parts of the network so that, all, you know, you see a lot of these retailers are actually opening up their logistics operations to other companies that they otherwise have nothing to do with. Um, so I'm optimistic that we're going to be more resilient. Um, there's a there's a kind of a, a vision for the future of how supply chain works uh, called the physical internet. Um, and it's sort of modeling how we move goods around the world after the way that the, the internet works. Um, so I like to think of Pacurate as something that can help uh, not increase the bandwidth of the network, but make sure that we're not overtaxing it by shipping wasted space or wasted material around. You mentioned overtaxing it and trying to avoid that. I'm just curious in terms of the you know, more specific duties with Packurate and how you guys have evolved with some of the supply chain problems that Mike was alluding to. And, and you mentioned the pandemic also kind of turning everything upside down. Like the last, you know, 18 months, let's say, what have you guys had to, you know, really two years, I guess. How have you, 
had to kind of readjust a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, our core kind of premise hasn't changed very much without going to sort of inside baseball prior kind of versions, because cartonization is not a new thing, but prior methods uh, at, at attacking this problem are all about like just making the boxes smaller or fewer. Whereas our approach is tailoring a packing plan for how exactly that shipment will be moved. So um, it ends, you know, in practice, that means items that are going to be shipped, you know, maybe only a few zip codes over, they'll probably be consolidated into fewer boxes and maybe there'll be a little bit of air in there. Um, items that are going to be shipped overnight or on a plane or, or whatever it is, they'll be split up almost always into more boxes um, to minimize, you know, down to the tiniest cubic inch of air in there. Um, so I think that, and you know, we haven't changed very much. I think the way we talk about what we do has changed quite a bit, highlighting certain benefits. Um, you know, I think I mentioned at the top, but uh, one, one of the rev revelations, which I don't know if it sounds kind of dumb, but one of the revelations we've, we had was that if you reduce the total cubic volume of all the boxes that you're shipping out the door, you also reduce one-to-one -one the percentage of trailers that you need, trucks, basically, leaving your, your distribution centers. Um, so that's, you know, obviously a sustainability point, but when at the height of the pandemic, um, you know, the carriers were running out of capacity. So even, you know, brands that you know and love were being told by the major carriers that, sorry, uh, this is, these are the only trailers you're going to get this week. So just try to stick it in there. So, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say we've changed so much, but just pulling out the more relevant bits that help shippers adapt to what's going on in the world has, has been a major focus. Kind of the last thing that I had for you was just what's next as far as where you guys are going. And, and I think with companies like you guys, and, and I think there's a lot more of a need for on the consumer side, we've seen people grocery shop from home. We've seen all sorts of, you know, online, uh, you know, ordering, I feel like in, just in general, the last five, 10 years has uh, exploded even more. So uh, how have you noticed that from a trend perspective and, and what do you think the next trend is? Yeah, I think um, from the consumer side, I think the, you know, I, I don't want to sound like anti-capitalist, but the reduce part of the three R's is uh, pretty important. Um, but, you know, we all need stuff. Sometimes we can't get to the house. Uh, you know, if the, the pandemic happens again, you're kind of stuck. So I think in terms of a, a consumer responsibility, you can make sure if you're ordering stuff to try to fit it all in, uh, you know, at once. So a bunch of items are being shipped together. Pick the slowest shipping option that you're able to. Um, if it's something that's that's being carried via the transport network, generally slower is greener. So that would be my advice. But also, I think in general, just be more be mindful. Um, you know, I think as part of what we do, we've gotten a lot of visibility into the scope three emissions, even just from cardboard. Um, and I think a lot of us, uh, myself included, feel better when we see something made of paper. Than, it, than made of plastic. But paper and cardboard, there are emissions associated with those as well. In fact, it's a, 
a three to one ratio of uh, one ton of cardboard equals three tons of CO2 equivalent. Um, so there's no, uh, you know, there's no like perfect material if you're ordering a bunch of things throughout the week and they're, you know, packed with, with crinkle paper or something, you're not uh, off the hook. And I think it's just important to be mindful of that. Well, James, this has been very fascinating today. And uh, hopefully uh, our listeners can um, take some of your advice about moving forward, about how their ordering habits are. And if they're like my wife selling on Poshmark, make sure they pack it up efficiently <laughs> before they send the items out, right? Uh, so uh, that's probably the next wild card is how do you, uh, how does your technology play into the person selling from home and how they pack up whatever they are selling. Do you have any thoughts or see that into the future or is that going to be further down the line? Sure. I think, you know, over the next couple of years, we'll be rolling out integrations into platforms like that. Um, But I think it's also easier if you're working, you know, shipping from home and you have maybe a little bit more time than in an enterprise fulfillment environment where there's somebody looking over your shoulder being like, you got to get these out the door. Um, I think at home you can you can practice that mindfulness and and just make sure that you're you're packing things efficiently. Well, if everybody just remembers slower is greener, that's at least one good lesson they would learn here today, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And James, we understand you wanted to make one last point regarding e-commerce shipping. So the the problem with uh, e-commerce shipping is you know it's a it's a it's very visible for the consumer when something goes wrong, when there's a, a tiny item you know, buried in air pillows. Um, but the the sort of bigger problem is that even the boxes that we judge as like adequately packed, um, there's actually a huge opportunity there on average. Um, this packaging company called DS Smith did a study and they surveyed e-commerce executives and they said, all right, how, how much air do you think are in uh, these your cartons that you're shipping on average? Um, and they thought around 25%. Um, but then when they went and they actually studied the cartons, uh, they found it was closer to 50% air um, and up to 64% air in some product categories. Um, and you might think that this is uh, overconfidence on the on the e-com folks part, but it's really just that humans are terrible <laughs> at evaluating three-dimensional space. Um, and I can attest to that. We look at cartons all day and completely misjudge uh, the 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 opportunity for for right sizing those cartons. Um, so anyway, so th- that's not to be depressing. That's to say there's a, there's a huge potential to reduce the emissions in our supply chain just by tackling this problem. Well, it sounded like you were describing the potato chip package I opened the other night. It was fifty percent air. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny you're not. We get that a lot, or I get that comment a lot, but. Um, uh, enough so that I looked it up and I think some of the nitrogen that they put in those bags is required. So some of that air in the potato chip bags is uh, serving a purpose to, to preserve the, the crunch. Well, good. I like the crunch. So I will accept that 50% air from now on. So. Okay. Well, thank you for your time, Greg. Again, thanks to James Molly there on episode 141 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating wherever you may get your podcast at, because as the saying goes, you learn something new every day, and we were responsible for today's lesson. For Mike Niemer, 
I'm Greg Frank. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your weeks. Again, this has been episode 141 of the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable.